0: C'est les
1: doigts avec ça. pervert, Why you go over to Lamb use a this. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton. And in this bonus episode, we're talking to Blood in the Snow Festival Director, Kelly Michael Stewart, about what you can expect from this year's all-Canadian horror and genre festival. You can check out shorts, features, web series, and industry panels and a very cool VR project that we're going to talk about in this episode at the Royal Cinema here in Toronto, November 21st through 26th, 2019. If you're not in Toronto, there's still plenty for you in this episode as we talk about some of the previous films that have screened in the festival and are now available to rent on VOD. Some of them we've even talked about on the podcast before. Find out more about all of this and get your tickets at bloodinthesnow.ca. Here's my interview with Kelly Michael Stewart. Man, I just was taking a look at the lineup and I'm like, you guys got some seriously good stuff going on.
0: It's how it comes together so like, like, if I talked to you a week ago, like, I, you know, I was still trying to lock stuff. And then when you lock it, you're like, wow, I can't imagine any other lineup.
1: Now, obviously, you can't play favorites, but you guys do a little bit when you're kind of showing your opening film. Talk to me a little bit about your opening film, uh, Puppet Killer, as well as your big closing night, Galen, what's going on there?
0: Well, it's always fun to try and figure out how you're going to open and close the festival and kind think like that. And what, what I was trying to do is pick something that kind of represents the different sides of the festival. and. Puppet Killer, just from what you can hear from the name of it, it's about killer puppets. And it's quite funny. It, obviously, it's a horror comedy. And the movie literally is about puppets trying to kill uh, kids at a teenager. But it really kind of, it's very meta, very self-referential. You know, because a lot of times you'll see in these movies where it's supposed to be teenagers and they have people in their 20s playing them. Well, they go one step further and have the lead teenager, someone in their early 50s. So they kind of go a bit extreme there. And yeah, it's done by a great first-time director, um, Lisa O'Ree, who's actually been acting for quite a while, but this is her—I believe this is her directorial debut. So I I just thought that was a really be a really fun way to kind of launch the fest this year. And then on the closing side of it, Z is probably one of the more scarier movies we've ever had. It It reminds me a lot of the Babadook. A lot in that, in that kind of in that way very atmospheric and a lot of jumps and stuff like that so it has a very kind of classic scary movie feel to it you know not necessarily a bloody movie at all because we've got a very eclectic lineup i think this year of different kinds of styles which we like we kind of like having things and so we kind of wanted to bookend it with, with those kinds of movies and then after we have the after this, the closing of with z and we're actually doing something really special this year we're working with hollywood suite they're, they're sponsors of our award show, and they've put together a new VR experience for *Night of the Living Dead*. First time it's ever been shown anywhere. I actually only saw footage of this till 48 hours ago, and and we showed this on our when we launched, uh, 48 hours before we, before we announced, I should say, and we yeah we showed it at, at a at a launch party on October 26th and and uh, i think we kind of blew everyone away with the footage of it because it's like basically you're in the movie from 1968 like it, it's all black and white and you're in and you're in there but you can pick up stuff here you can you can turn on the tv and watch a clip from it that you would see in in the, the original movie they actually worked with a lot of people that worked on the original film and it was made right here in canada and so you'll be able to put on these vr glasses this 360 degrees at our closing night party at the Monarch Tavern and be able to try it on and put this on and and try to it's going to be a great way to kind of close things off
1: yeah that's super cool I'm one of those people who gets viciously nauseous when I do VR so that that part's not going to be for me but I mean I can imagine that being the coolest way to close things off as people are like okay I've just been sitting there in an immersive situation with a bunch of other people geeking out over horror movies at the Royal Cinema and now I actually get to live in a horror film so that's pretty cool
0: yeah yeah exactly and I think and also too we always try and bring something a little bit different every year. Cause I, I feel I, I'm a strong believer that film festivals can need to be more than just films. And I think that's obviously the core of it. We work really hard on, on getting all the other things around it. A lot of fun. This is why we have after parties every night. We have a poster show with all the movie posters that play the festival at a local art gallery. And we have some of the parties there. And uh, you know, we have obviously Q and A's with the filmmakers and these, and we have a really fun photo backdrop where we, Um, um, take photos all weekend long with everyone and you can meet the filmmakers, take pictures with them. And then, so we've always added, like try and add some different element the VR thing was just that year, this year's element. We, we had an, um, a different kind of interactive film last year where we, uh, where a film was playing on a 20 minute loop and we had a live band playing with it and people could walk in and out of the, of the screening of it at the gallery um, throughout the entire night and every time you went in it was a bit different we're always trying to look at something different what can what, what can be that one little thing that we can do a little bit different? that you can't, you can't see or do anywhere else.
1: Something I really love about what you guys are doing is you really encourage a lot of industry back and forth and a lot of making sure that there's lots of places for people to gather when they come into town, uh, not just for the filmmakers, but possibly people who want to become filmmakers uh, and to the, for the distributors to like meet a little bit of everybody and ask questions, and really have that great sort of conversation forum, which all of the best festivals have. So talk to me a little bit about the difference between the Deadly Exposure Pack and the Festival Pack and how those two things kind of work.
0: Yeah, we've, we've We've had the industry stuff probably since about year two. I think was the first time we had any, but well, we just had like one panel and stuff. And we've had those panels every year or since then. But last year we decided to, we realized that we were getting so many filmmakers come from all across Canada because we play nothing but Canadian films. When we get together to do this festival, it becomes not just a a gathering of horror fans, but also a a gathering of the film community, like a big, and so even if you're not playing the festival, we were finding a high percentage of our attendance were people that were in the film industry in Toronto, and Southern Ontario. So we were like, well, we should cultivate that. And we started, and so what we did was we rebranded our industry stuff last year called Deadly Exposure. And daily exposure is basically our little mini film market that we have during the fest. For the first four days of the festival, we have it this year at the Peacock Pub, and uh, we have two days of industry panels, and then two days of what we call power roundtables. Where, if you have a daily exposure pass, you can meet with distributors and sales agents and funders, um, and then also it's old and it's done in a very kind of casual roundtable. Uh, atmosphere. So you will go meet with with one for twenty minutes, and then you hand up cards and talk to the people at your table, and then you move to the next one. So it's kind of like a speed dating, and this like, kind of, that analogy's been used quite a bit. It's like the speed dating thing where you just go in, and it's a really great way to to meet with people and just find out if they're a good match for you. Because if it's like a big distribution company and you have as more of a smaller film, it might not be a good match for you, and then it's better just to have that conversation. And find out before you go and book this huge meeting with them one on one. So it's a good way to get kind of get those questions out of the way and kind of and, and kind of get a sense of what everyone's looking for and what and, and who's the best people to approach and have kind of follow up meetings and and by and we tried that. It was the first time we tried anything like that last year, and it was really really popular. So much so that um, there's deadly exposure passes, as we record this, is. Um, 75 percent sold out so it's been it's obviously taking off and people are really liking it a lot so that pass will get you into all that plus the uh all 13 screenings and then we also have our regular pass um that um is really quite inexpensive actually and it's for for right now it's 75 and going up to 85 dollars. but that you know for like seven eight dollars per screening pretty much you're you're getting into everything priority line and uh, we have 13 great programs, and we'll get into that. And we'll get into the award show too at the end of the, both passes. We'll get into the award show at the, at the end of the fest.
1: Now, we talked about how incredibly eclectic your lineup is this year, and as I'm kind of looking through it, I'm like, all right, we got aliens, we got demons, we got killer Santas, we got just straight-up slashers, we got ghosts, we got killer puppets. Like, there really is something for everybody. What do you think Canada is doing differently that nobody else is doing within the world of genre?
0: We, I think we're all, we're all um, in my opinion, grandchildren of um, David Cronenberg. So and that, what I mean by that is is that, that he really is the godfather of, of Canadian genre cinema because... If you look at his filmography, it's very diverse and had a huge impact on Canadian filmmakers. Whether it affected you directly, it's at least affected you indirectly. Um, because if you look at his filmography, it's just so, it's so eclectic, of uh, everything from Madame Butterfly to The Fly and 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 Dead Ringers and Videodrome, and it's just all over. It's, it's scanners. It's all over the place of different kinds of, of different styles. And I think that's very kind of shows what we kind of do in Canada. We do we kind of do a lot. Of, a lot of it, more of a thinking person's horror, and um, and then on a technical level, um, we're really known as Hollywood North. I mean, it's always incredible if you were to look at the, the filmography, like if you looked on IMDb of all the directors and crew people that work on it. A lot, but they don't just make f- films for like to independent films like this. They obviously have day jobs and things too, and and most of them either come from or are ha- continuously are working on some really big shows like they like i was just talking to people at the launch party asking what they're working on they're like oh i just came from star trek Uh, i just worked on the last season of a handmaid's tale uh uh, what we do in shadows the new the tv series for that um i know people that worked on uh, shape of water which you know of course won best picture they're working on a very like very very high-end shows um and so i think it gives them an advantage over other Um, people working in other cities and other countries because we're getting in the vancouver film market it's the same way is that there's so many big u.s productions being done here the crew people here are far and beyond um, much more sophisticated than i think they are getting If say if you were from baltimore or something like that you uh or detroit or something You, you don't they don't have those those major cities don't have the film market in the film community that Toronto has and I think it really gives us a leg up over other parts and other, and other countries even.
1: It's interesting that you bring up I want to bring us back to the David Cronenberg because I think you can say the same thing about Bob Clark and you look at his his uh, career and I mean he gave us Black Christmas before Halloween, it's quintessential, uh, and then following that up with Porky's and A Christmas Story and like a little bit of everything but everything kind of sat in its own genre it was amazing and was all Canadian. So I think that's really just such an interesting point you bring up about the eclecticity, eclecticity? I'm going with eclect city of, yeah. uh, of what we do and uh, and just also that you just have to continue to be that diverse and get into as many markets as possible to be able to continue to make money uh, and also just speaking to the level of talent that a lot of our filmmakers have and especially our special effects people I think about Corey Maine who has been on the show before whose short Willa is in the festival this year and people will be able to check yeah. that out uh, and I mean that guy is just like Willa is a gorgeous looking short and it's because he's worked on everything from Penny Dreadful, Game of Thrones, The Borgias, uh, Handmaid's Tale, like it's a He's working on Vikings right now. Like it's ridiculous the level this kid is working at, and he's fantastic. Well, that's what's
0: incredible, and this is where sometimes uh, the titles of things you know like can be misleading because he's in our in our Emerging screens program, which is supposed to be for for student and first time directors. Well, yeah, but if you look at the sophistication, the level uh, that his film is is like that's not a first time filmmaker. Like it's like it's like. So I think people are going to be shocked in that program, especially like what the level is because it's like it's like, it's, it's quite shocking because it's like, I had to do a double take and read his bio. Oh, this is his first film. But it's just like what you just said. he's worked on so much other stuff. It doesn't surprise me. Once you read his biography, I went, Oh, okay. That's, this makes sense now. Cause I couldn't, you know, couldn't believe that he, it was, uh, it was his first films. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So that's, that. I think that's a great, great example.
1: Yeah, oh, he's fantastic. Uh, so then my next question for you guys is obviously you have your lineup for this year but people who are looking to submit to you guys for later on what do you want uh, filmmakers to keep in mind when they submit to you and what should they be working on?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I wish actually more pe- filmmakers actually reached out and talked to us. I mean, I think that I think what's really important is to I would say if they if they're working on a film for next year to come out this year and if they can kind of that because I think you, you'll you'll get a really good sense of frankly what the competition's like and what the what what expectations are and you'll get a really good sense of the cross-section of different work also just be able to come out and speak to us and speak to the programmers and get to know like what what we're doing doesn't mean like hey we're all buddy buddy means you get in it just means that you're gonna have a better sense of of what the um what 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 it's like out there because i think there's a lot of times filmmakers will the mistake they'll do is kind of work in a bubble and then they'll kind of submit their projects and it'll be kind of one of those to whom it may concern kind of things and they'll send it to them and not really and really and maybe also to not really get a sense of like if it's the right festival because i think the, the filmmakers need to do more research of like what's a good festival from the play and you'll get kind of like opposite issues in the spectrum one of the like a lot of filmmakers first-time filmmakers especially um, will be a bit frankly a bit naive and think that they can play tiff on the first time out and tiff is you know obviously it's the one of the biggest festivals, if not the biggest festival in the world it's extremely hard to get into. It doesn't mean they don't play first-time filmmakers and stuff, but it's like winning the lottery. And so a lot of times I'll talk to filmmakers and ask what they plan- their plans are, and they'll say that they're playing TIFF, and, and I'll know that that they probably won't. And, kind of that. and then there's the opposite problem, where they haven't really done a festival strategy, and they think they need to kind of figure out where they are at, at things. And one thing that's disappointing sometimes is that filmmakers will – Give away their premiere. You only have one chance to really premiere your film. Just because someone says they have a film festival doesn't mean that it's at the level that we're at. Like we're we're playing in a theater that's 380 seats, uh, 5.1 sound, huge screen, marquee. Like it's 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 a real thing, right? And then there's other festivals where literally it's a pull up screen at the bottom of of like a rec room or a bar. Like literally just projected onto a wall, and. There's nothing wrong with playing those kinds of things, but is that if if you're doing a world premiere of your film, even if it's a short film, do you really want to do that, right? And and we have to have at least a Toronto premiere to play us. So whether you're playing our festival or something else, you really need to start more at the medium, larger, medium sized festivals, and then move your way down. And if that's your strategy, that's fine. There's always certain cases where people just, you know, they're, they're it's their first film and they've done something that's ultra low budget and they just want to just get it out there. It's okay, but just. No, you have to kind of have that strategy. I think that's probably the best advice I can give.
1: When I meet a lot of filmmakers, a lot of filmmakers, some do go to university and they go through that sort of route, but a lot of filmmakers do not. They just jump right into it and they start working in the industry right away. And I always yeah. think of going to, uh, looking at film festivals and submitting to them, like submitting to university. Like you want to have, you know, your safety schools where you're like, okay, I know what the product I'm making is at the level of what these people are putting forward and I'm going to hit these right audiences and there's going to be these distributors there and I know I, I want to develop a relationship with these distributors, you have your one or two like gold tier, Harvard, Ivy League, Cannes, Sundance, that kind of thing at TIFF. And then uh, your like safety schools where you're like, OK, you know, these are these are the ones where I'm like, I'm going to go in for a couple of these small ones because it's going to be easy. It's like your community colleges of film festivals.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great analogy. I think you have, you do have to kind of and, and, and just like that, you have to have a strategy for it and kind of look what your plan is. And The thing is, too, is that it has to be a flexible plan because you can start off that way and and go, wow, okay, like that didn't work. Let's try this. But you used, you used to have to have kind of like an A plan, B plan, C plan, kind of thing like that. And I and unfortunately, I think a lot of filmmakers don't really uh, have that. They get the film done and then they're kind of like and they're kind of like lost in the woods a little bit. And that's also why it's important to come out to Blood and the Snow, even if you're not playing it, because then you kind of like you can kind of learn that stuff. You can learn that by talking to the other filmmakers, talking to us and talking to the different panelists and they'll, they'll show you the way, you know, they, that, they, that information is there. It's easy to get, but you have to, you have to leave the house and go learn it. And kind of time too. It's like, it's, it's in a way it's almost like, um, going the industry stuff, especially, it's like going to school again, you, you, you kind of, like you, because they'll teach you in film school, how to make a film. I don't think they really, and I've talked to filmmakers, they don't teach, the business side of it as much as they should, mm-hmm. and they don't understand even more the marketing side of things. There's really there's that's that's because it because it that keeps evolving of like what you're supposed to do for that. Like what you would you would do five years ago is so different than what you would do now.
1: Now obviously, uh, people who live outside of Toronto are not going to be able to see these films right away. But you guys have been around for a good long time. Talk to me a little bit about what are some previous gems from the festival that got picked up for distribution that people across the world are going to be able to check out.
0: Oh, geez. Well, I think what, the first one that comes to mind, I'll just work my way back. Level 16 was a big film for us last year. Uh, it won quite a few awards at her festival. And it's very much a mix between Stafford Wise and uh, and Handmaid's Tale. The director that, uh, Nanishka, went had and she her next film was uh, she did uh, the Banana Splits horror movie that came out just recently. A very different mix um, for her. Uh, another big one was uh, a film called The Unseen, uh, which was kind of a modern retelling of The Invisible Man, where a guy of slowly going invisible. It's done more like he has a disease. And that's won a lot of awards. That won Best Picture for us that year, and it's been playing all over. And, they, and there's, as a side note, that director, his day job is does makeup effects for films like Deadpool, and, and, and I think he even did a cameo in the second one. I think almost every film that we've had has been picked up for distribution. One that, that I'm a real big fan of that we played um, last year as well is called uh, Alive. And I don't. I never like to. Get, I can't really explain it too much because it would give away the ending. It has, it has one of the best twist endings that I've, I've ever seen, and it is, it's directed by uh, Rob Grant. I would definitely seek that out as well. But well, most of those films are available on iTunes and, and different, and Amazon Prime, and all those different outlets now. The other place to look for a lot of titles that have played Blood in the Snow is through um, Black Fawn Distribution. Um, they picked up quite a few titles that we've we've had. Um, we've actually put out two compilations with Black Bond Distribution called Bloody Bits. Uh, volume that's one, 1 and 2, and there are two short film compilations that of some of the best shorts that have played the festival. Um, there's seven shorts in Volume 1 and 10 on Volume 2, and there's even a few audio commentaries and a few extras on it. Um, and uh, they're only $10. You can, if you go to blackfonddistribution.com, you can order them, and uh, it'll give you a really great cross-section of the different kinds of films that have played the Fest. And, and so if you can't make it to the Fest and whatnot, I mean, we've been selling them at, but you can get them at the Fest as well. And they're just a great souvenir to kind of show, like, what kind of things that we do. And, and I, I think it's a great tester, a I, I I think to try at the Fest with.
1: Great. And then how can people find Bits and all the work and the great stuff coming through Bits Podcast and all things Blood in the Snow
0: Festival? Uh, I would point everything to bloodandsnow.ca. Um, that's where you can get tickets. You can find information about the festival. You can look at po- um, past highlight videos to show what the festival's like. Um, there's a link to the Bloody Bits compilation if you want to look at that. We also have our own podcast show called Bits Radio. Um, that you can see a link to on there. We even have a TV show that's, if, if anyone that's on Bell, subscribers on cable, we, we have a show called um, Bits TV that I'm the host of, or it's an interview show. And uh, I believe um, both season one and season two are still available on Bell 5, uh, channel one.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Kelly. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.